Welcome to the Growth Podcast, growing together through curious conversations. Today, I am looking forward to getting curious with Ali Mortimer. Ali is the founder of Heal Yourself Happy. She's a health and happiness coach who works with highly purposeful people who are facing challenge. She uses her Heal Yourself Happy methodology to help people navigate through the journey of self-discovery to determine their own personalised prescription for healing and creating sustainable health and happiness. Ali has a wealth of experience and works with CEOs, lawyers, entrepreneurs and individuals. She's currently supporting Marks and Spencers with guided group meditations, speaks at events with Sweaty Betty and the UK Health Coaching Association. And it's also with great joy that I can now say Ali is a published author. Ali, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the Growth Podcast. Welcome along. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. So I'd like to start off, Ali, by just finding out a little bit more about how you got into this incredible line of work. (laughs) It all really started um, when I suffered from really bad burnout in about 2013. I was working... Um, in one of the biggest retailers in the UK. I had spent my entire life, I suppose, working on my career, wanting to progress, you know, was doing really well. I loved the space in retail that I was in. It was a really exciting time. It was all at the time where everything was going multi-channel, everything was going online. The, the shape of retailing was really, really changing. It was really exciting to be at the forefront of that in some of the biggest retailers. And um I just started working with a new team. We were pioneering a new way to develop code. I was working with developers in in and across Europe, but also working with people over in the States as well. So I was working kind of like on a round the clock time frame. But I also had two small children. I had um, my two little boys and one of them had just started school. And my biggest dream ever since I was, you know, dot was that I always wanted to be a mummy. And I found that working around the clock, I wasn't able to be the best mum and I wanted to be the best mum and I wanted to be the best for my team and be the best in my career and be this version of the modern woman who had it all and could do it all. But I found that in reality, it just didn't work like that and I completely crashed and burned and I burnt out. And it was actually my husband who came to me one evening when everything had all gone horrendously wrong. and he said, I think it's I think it's time you resigned, don't you? Shall I write your resignation letter or or do you want to do it? And and with that he gave me permission to say, kind of, I can't do it anymore. And obviously I can't give up my children, but I can change what I do working for a living and just take a breath and start to look after the kids, start to look after him as well, because he had senior positions and was working on his career. So I took this decision to step back and um Having been through burnout, I knew that I needed to start to look at my health, my self-care, how I could best serve others. Um, And I started this journey of looking into health and lifestyle medicine, one, because of that, but also because my mum had Alzheimer's and she'd had it by then probably for about five years and it was getting particularly bad. And I wanted to understand a little bit more about it, about the genetics of it, how you got it. Was it hereditary? What did I need to do in order to make sure that I lived beyond 
the kind of she got it at 60 my granny got it at 70 so I just thought gosh if that's the way it trends then I'm going to get it at 50 so what do I do to to make sure that it it doesn't happen to me what's my best what are the best things that I could do so this took me on this journey of lifestyle medicine looking after yourself in a holistic way both in your body in your mind um and I started to look at diet and what I was eating. I worked with a nutritionist. I worked with a personal trainer to make sure that I was doing the right sorts of things for my body. Um, I started to become interested in um, mindfulness and how the brain works. And I kind of took myself on my own curious path, really, just reading books, listening to TED Talks, going to seminars. And I got this thirst of knowledge that, you know, I had this time where I used to be so busy in my corporate world that I had this time to fill and I did all of this. Um, and then my mum, very sadly and very suddenly, got very sick. We thought she'd probably live with Alzheimer's for a really long time, but it got very, very bad. And she was moved into a mental hospital. And in the mental hospital, rather than putting her in a straitjacket of like, you know, the movies that you see them put in those white coats and they can't move, they put her in a drug-induced kind of white jacket. And she shriveled and became very, very minimal is all I can see in my mind. She just became, she shrank. And when they got her to the point where she was no longer harmful to herself or to others because she'd been coming at my dad with knives and other people in other homes, they allowed her back out into, into, a very, into, a, into another home. And very suddenly she got pneumonia and the doctors just said, she's, she's not going to survive. You can see in her eyes that she doesn't want to live anymore. So I came down and, and we had bedside vigil for the seven days it took her to die. And I found that a very traumatic experience. Just, I think it all came rushing home that I only had one life and it was going to end. And I don't think you really get that realization until somebody incredibly close to you does die. And it, that was kind of like a wake up call then to me of, right, what am I going to do? You know, I've left my corporate career behind. I've had a lovely few years, you know, trying a few different things out, trying to look after my kids, learning about this, but what do I want to do? What do I want my legacy to be? You know, I've only got one life so what shall I actually do and I started to imagine how that would look and um, started to do some courses and actually get qualified in in becoming a coach and a health coach because I could see how this could really help and through my grief I used all of the tips and techniques that I've been learning about to get through the grief that I've been through. So meditation became a really big thing, mindfulness, also making sure I was looking after myself through that time so that I could carry on looking after the boys. Um, and I pulled through that kind of like level of grief and then became very clear that that is exactly what I wanted to do. And then... Um, and then another juggernaut kind of kind of came and hit me in through my life, and it meant that my my life got turned upside down, inside out. My husband and I separated for five months, and I was diagnosed with clinical depression, PTSD. I had insomnia; I just couldn't sleep, and I had a dis eating disorder because I just couldn't eat, and I wasn't really entirely sure what to do with myself. I was so you know shocked by it. I was in shock. And I went to the doctors and the doctor just said, well, you know, it, here's a bunch of antidepressants, you can take that. And I think that, again, was another wake-up call. It was like, I don't want to take pills, but pills are just going to numb me from everything that's going on and it will mean that I can function, but it's not going to really address 
address what's going on. And I thought, you know, I've lived through pain and loss before, and this is just another version of pain and loss. I've lost my life. I've lost my identity. I've lost my friends. I've lost my self-respect. I've lost respect of everything. But I know that I can rebuild my life, and it's not going to be by taking drugs. It's going to be by sitting with this pain. It's going to be going back to everything that I've learned in that time of looking after myself. So I went right back to basics and slowly and surely started to rebuild my life. And it took me about 12 months. Um, and at the end of the 12 months, I'd healed myself happy, hence calling my, my business Heal Yourself Happy. And I, and I thought, right, you know, life is sent, you know, life, life challenges you in ways that sometimes beyond your imagination, but you can let it floor you or you can learn from it and you can use that in order to go forward. And I decided that that's what I wanted to do. So I continued with all of my accreditations and qualifications and then just knew that I'd been able to look after myself and I wanted to help others do exactly the same. So for anyone who'd been through those difficult, challenging, traumatic times of grief, grief and loss for whatever kind of grief or loss, you know, I, I was listening to Brené Brown the other day and she said, you know, grief and loss is just the death of something. It doesn't need to be a person. It could be you know, a loss of your own identity. It could be a loss of a job. It could be a loss of a dream. It could be a loss of, you know, anything. But you need to go through that grieving process and, and then rebuild on the back of it. So that's how I got it. <laughs> well, I just want to start by saying, Ali, thank you so much for sharing that with us because that is such a personal journey. Certainly in this field, what we often find is that people have been through these really significant personal journeys and that's how they start to develop their own well-being strategies and, and models for healing their hearts, as you say. So thank you for sharing that with us. I'm sure that's resonated for a lot of people listening um, in, in relation to what you've been through. And actually, some real hope in there that there are so many tools and techniques and things that we can do to help us through those really difficult times. And I recently read that you have been described as the fixer of hearts. Yes, and that's right. it's really interesting because you've obviously fixed your own heart and now your whole business is around helping others to fix theirs. So maybe we could just delve into a little bit more about how you help other people to fix their hearts based on all of that practice and experience that you've learned for yourself. Yeah, of course. I mean, that was, it was lovely. It was a lovely client that said that to me in, in a session. She just said, you helped me fix my heart. She said it was shattered into so many different pieces. And I touched back on the whole grief thing. You know, she walked away from a career. She, her marriage had broken down. She'd lost her health. And she felt like her heart was completely broken. And she said, what we've done together is you've helped me put all of the pieces of my heart back together so that it's whole again. And I feel I've got my soul back. I feel like I'm me again. Um, and I definitely felt that that happened to me. And, and what I like to help people is, yes, let's put it back together. But, you know, know that your heart is stronger because of what you've been through. You know, those scars are just, they're signs that you've survived. And actually, they've strengthened you. And there's this beautiful word in Japanese, and it was one of the things that I clung to. It was called kintsugi. And it's how um, broken pottery in Japan, when it's smashed, they fix it together with gold. And actually, the broken pottery is far more beautiful and interesting than the one that was originally perfect. So if you can, and that gave me so much hope that, you know, I'm not broken, you know, I'm beautiful with my flaws and even more so with them. So 
that's exactly how, you know how I like to see it and give people those hope that hope to go forward and say you know you can fix it and you can be better and you can be stronger and the, the techniques I use are, are very very much you know the ones that I learned for myself that worked for me and then through practice over the last few years I noticed that similar traits, similar patterns, similar issues were being fixed by the similar sorts of tools and techniques. And then that's when I came up with my seven-step program, the Heal Yourself Happy methodology, that I take people on this journey of self-discovery. I feel that so many people are looking for like a quick fix or a magic pill and to help get rid of everything and to feel better immediately. And, and what they don't realize is that that's not going to help them get to where they want to be. It's not a process that you can rush. It's something you need to build on and take your time with slowly in order to really heal. Otherwise, it will just fall apart again. Yeah, and I often like to, to kind of help clients and people to think about um, well-being of being like broccoli. So if you think yeah. about eating broccoli, if you eat it just once, it doesn't help. It, yeah, for that one time, but actually you need to be eating it consistently and doing it over and over again for it to really impact and help. So exactly the same as as thinking about that as well-being it's something that we need to be being consistent and of course the context of our lives constantly change so whereas we might be flourishing in one day we might be struggling in the next and so the prescription actually needs to change every day and we need to be on top of this all of the time it's not a quick fix and, and a one-stop shop it needs to be changed and challenged and kept on top of the whole time so i'd love to hear more about your seven steps yeah. So but to, touching on the prescription piece, that's exactly what I help people do. There isn't one answer for everyone. This is a journey. This is your journey. And you've got to get in touch with you to write your prescription because your age is different to the next person, your circumstances, your physical ability, your mental ability. We're all completely different walking science experiments. So it's the most important. And the only person who knows you is you. And you have to look and do that work on you. And I'm there really as a facilitator to help people ask those questions and get really in touch with themselves. And then once they've created their own prescription, what you find is that it's much more sustainable because you're not trying to force yourself to do something that doesn't fit. You've, you've worked on it, you know it, you understand it. So it makes it become second nature. So going on this journey of seven steps is all about the introspection and the reflection, but then creating the habits that are sustainable. So that prescription is just habits that you just build on. So the seven steps goes through, first of all, the first three areas I like to see is more, more around physical well-being. Because I think if you start there, then that's what mainly most people are looking for. They want the answers and it's almost like low-hanging fruit. If you can get this right, then the next bits become a little bit easier. So I always start with food. It's most, most thing that people come and ask me about is food, what should I should I be eating but it's also what I don't think people understand what they actually do eat has such a, an impact on the mental health as well so by getting people to understand their own bodies how they feel when they eat the right foods for them and I'm very very clear about it it's not just buying the next diet book this is you understanding the basic principles of food and you experimenting so again there's no quick fix it's about you trying the different diets that are out there or starting with principles and then add in gluten or take gluten out. My son's celiac, so he doesn't have gluten. But yet the rest of us are fine with gluten. You know, I can't eat dairy. But it's about you understanding the impact of certain foods on you and only you can know that. 
So, um, and I guess it's something like a diary, maybe, where people are writing down, trying to create connections so that they can really see the impact that different food groups have for them well, individually. That's yeah, that's right. And and I have a wonderful tool that I get people when I work with them is to daily write out what they're eating, how they're feeling, what their energy levels are like, and they can start to see the correlation. And it, I always believe change. The first step to change is awareness. How can you change anything if you don't know? So get to know yourself, really. You know, you are become an expert in your own self, your responses. And this is just for getting an expert in your own body's response to food. So we go through that in the first in the first step. Really understand what your diet is, what your prescription is. Know what happens, you know, in the summer, in the winter, if you do more exercise. How do you need to evolve in, in that way? Then once we've got that, we go through to how do you keep yourself physically fit and able? And, and it's the same principle again, experiment. You know, with women, the first half of your cycle, you can be doing lots of high intensity activity, but it's about recognizing perhaps in the second half, you need to do much more gentle, much more nurturing side. You know, just really get in tune with your body and what it needs. And I, I sometimes work with so many people who feel like they need to run a marathon every week and that's the only way that they're going to keep fit. But it's actually, no, it's about finding the balance and doing different, do stretching and do running, but do cardio, do strength training, work out on your own, work out with people. What works for you? Not what your best friend does. What do you do? What makes you feel good? And if that's yoga in the morning and, you know, the odd run, wonderful. But don't force yourself to do something you don't enjoy because you're not going to do it or you'll give up after a time. Yeah, and like when I'm working one-to-one -one with people and coaching as well, sometimes they come with goals that are not their own. Um, and that's a really good example of that, where people are told, oh, you should go running, it's really good for you, or you should do Pilates, or whatever that might be. But actually, it's not for them. So yeah, I love that idea that actually you're trying to really raise that awareness for yourself, see what brings you joy in different types of physical activities, have a go and see what feels right for you and then start to develop that prescription so after you've got that so you've got your food and you've got your exercise the next important thing that people i don't believe put enough importance on is your sleep and your rest mm. um sleep is the best medicine the best healer you can ever give your body it's the one thing that will help you heal and i don't think people recognize that nearly enough i mean you see animals if they're ill they just go and curl up and they fall asleep until they're better again as, as humans you watch us don't you? you rush out and you buy the latest medicine the latest pills and you carry on and it's probably the worst thing you can do your body is just telling you to if you're sick slow down go to bed <laughs> so we build up this prescription for what what do you need in order to Form your best how much sleep and how much rest do you need and where does that fit in your day how much sleep do you need some people only need six hours some people need more you know again similarly with rest how do you take your rest is it active rest or is it you know really switching off and again working out what works for you and how you get the benefit of rest and when and how and how can you make sure you get the best quality of sleep and up just going back to lifestyle, our lifestyle has changed so much and it's about showing people how how they can get the most out of their sleep, i.e. just one of the simplest things is just turning off screens, isn't it? But mm. people don't do that. And I often remind people, you know, when, when you've got babies, what do you do in order to help promote sleep? You give them a bedtime routine. We had the four Bs, you know, 
bath, bottle, bed, something else, can't remember what the fourth thing was, but um, it was, you wind them down. They know that actually once they've had their bath, they're going to get their bottle, they're going to have their book, and then they're going to go to bed, the book. So it's about you're subconsciously winding them down and preparing them for the fact that they're going to go to sleep. And when we grow up, we throw that all out the window. It's you almost, if you're not sleeping well, and I recently worked with somebody who was having terrible insomnia, but I just, we went back to those basics of just prepare yourself for good sleep. Let your mind know. His mind was racing and he couldn't turn off. So it was, how can we stop your mind from racing? So it could be things like just simply journaling, you know, have a bath with lavender, you know, just wind yourself down. Let your mind know that it's time to switch off so you can have good quality sleep. Yeah, and of course the physical um, benefits sleeping but but mentally our, our brain goes through a process of being able to work out what happened to us during the day filing all of those different elements into our brain so that we can process that information and that we can wake up refreshed ready to start so i love the idea of again creating those habits around yeah. having a really good sleep pattern so that's the third element yeah. i think i was interested in sleep when um I talked about my mum being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. There's a lot of research at the moment that people who have Alzheimer's also have a history of really bad sleep. And what they've seen when people sleep is there's something, and I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it right, but it's autophagy or autophagy or something. But what they've seen now that they can do MRI scans on people with early on stage Alzheimer's is that our brain gets washed in this process called autophagy or however you pronounce it. Um, your brain is washed and it's removing all of the debris in between your brain cells. And people who have Alzheimer's have a buildup of debris in their brain and that's what causes the, the shutdown of certain synapses to talk to each other. So I learned a lot. There's a great book um, that I read all about that and sleep and understanding the different cycles and why you know your NRM is just as important as your REM for creating memories, as you've talked about. You know what do you need to remember, what don't you? It's almost like siphoning it all out. And I've found it so fascinating. So I'm a big believer. I love sleep anyway, but if I needed any more reason to sleep, then you know Stephen Waters was one of the reasons. <laughs> Yeah, sleep is really important yeah. to me as well. It's um, <laughs> I, again, I think depending on where you are in your life and you know what's going on for you right now, it can it, it can change again, can't it? Because each day, I know when I had brain surgery four years ago, one of the things that really helped was sleeping, and still even now I get really tired. I've got quite a rare brain condition, so I have to make sure that I factor actually that rest time into my day and into my week. Otherwise, I I can't manage on a day-to-day basis but yeah I also like my sleep and my- <laughs> I don't think people should feel guilty for wanting to sleep or rest I think there's an element of everyone wanting to be busy or they feel that if they sleep or if they rest that then it's some kind of negative connotation that they're not living their life on purpose or they they aren't being big enough or good enough or I don't know it's almost like a negative thing and I don't think people need to see it that way at all I think it's a, it should be prioritized and perhaps in this moment of lockdown and where everyone's slowing down it's not a bad thing Ooh, interesting yeah so we've got food our physical health and sleep what's number four so when you've got those in kind of like in the right order, you've already gone a long way to improving your mental health anyway. We touched on if you get your food right, 
has a massive impact on your mental health. Again, exercise, movement also plays a huge part in the endorphins that are released in your brain, in your mental health. Sleep, I mean, we all know our emotions run wild, don't they, when you haven't had any sleep. So it's a massive impact on your mental health. So the fourth pillar is all about your mind. Um, and this is where I guide people on whether they've had any experience of mindfulness or meditation or any kind of mind training, but opening up their minds to actually just as much as you go to the physical gym, you need to go to the mental health gym as well. And this is just, you know, focusing in on using those techniques and whether that be around strengthening your mindset through affirmations or just recognizing your thoughts through practices of mindfulness just really get in touch with what's going on with your head and is it aligned with what you're thinking and what you're doing. So the, I really love the, you know, the happy mind, I call it the happy mind pillar. Um, but yeah, taking through people that real mindset strengthening. And I think also if you're trying to achieve goals, it's all about having a really, getting your head in the game will help you achieve that so much better. I love going to the, the idea of going to the mental health gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the mind That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. They're setting some time maybe aside to actually, you know, get our heads in, in, in that kind of area of going to the, the mental health gym, engaging in some kind of mindfulness, some, some guided meditations. And again, there are so many amazing apps um, and, and free tools available to help us engage in mindfulness and meditation. But there's no excuse for not going to the mental health. No, that's right. And and again, it goes, I bring it right back to people. It's by giving them the options, like you say, so many different apps, so many different ways of doing it. But it's about them then tracking what is working for them. You know, when when they go to the mind gym, are they better doing it in the morning or in the evening or at lunchtime? Or do they need to pepper it through their day? Or just getting them to understand, like some people love meditation, other people don't but it's okay you don't have to do meditation because all that is is just intentional mindfulness you can do mindfulness in a variety of other ways but work out which way works for you and do that and do it consistently yeah and you've been taking some people through guided meditations the uh, mns group can you tell us about that yeah of course i can so i had um one of my wonderful private clients i um I've been down to do a talk at Marks and Spencer's anyway about mindfulness. They'd been through a big restructure and there was some discord in amongst the teams and another friend of mine invited me to come down and talk to them about mindfulness and how it can help build compassion and harmony in the workplace. And I, and I went down to talk to them about that. And then I then worked with this one guy um, on a private basis for a time. And just, just after we'd been put in on lockdown, we just had that, you know, that right, everyone's got to work from home kind of speech from Boris Johnson and I got a text message saying would you mind just coming on and leading some guided meditations for some of the departments where we're facing a really difficult time and I think it would really benefit my teams so I was like yes of course I will so I went on and I did mass virtual meditations I didn't know I thought it might just been you know a small team but it wasn't it was about 200 people on these zoom calls listening in to me doing guided meditation to just bring a sense of calm and security to them and they had such a overwhelmingly positive response to just me doing a meditation for 10 minutes on one of their team huddles that it started to go around the different departments and then the following morning I got a text message from him saying please please don't fall off your chair but the head of marketing and the head of HR would like you to do your own mini series through all our social media channels 
fantastic. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so yes, I'm doing um, I'm doing meditations through the Marks and Spencers Facebook, Twitter, and um, Instagram channels, and then also top tips for health on Thursdays. <laughs> wow, so it's amazing. And how wonderful to be able to connect all of those people back up together again at this really difficult time of isolation to be able to go through such a positive well-being process together. Really positive. And I also, you know, I commend Marks and Spencers for recognising that. You know, they're food retailers and clothing retailers. They're not in the mindfulness game at all, but they recognised that their people, their colleagues were struggling and that's what they needed. So in essence, their customers needed it as well. So let's give them what they're offering. And ultimately, that's what retail is all about. It's supply and demand, isn't it? So, Yeah, and of course, you gave us two really great kind of benefits of mindfulness, just as you were talking in relation to it, it helps to build compassion and it helps yeah. to harmonize people as well. So not just for self, but that yeah. whole build and broaden theory of actually if we feel good about ourselves, we can extend that into our world, which of course, Max and Spencer can do with their clients yeah. and, and, all, and all of the people that shop there as well. I think mindfulness in the workplace is such an important thing and I see a trend of it growing already. I think people are becoming much, much more aware of that. But not only is it good for building teams and harmony and compassion with yourself and with others, but what you know, in worrying times, in stressful times, your mind is so caught up in these worrying thoughts and solution solving and I've got to find the answer that actually just taking some time to be still, you create space and in that space, that's where innovation comes. That's where creativity comes. That's when you, you know, you have your light bulb moment. Not only that, but if you can create that space, you can be much more focused. You can be much more productive. So the benefits are incredible. So we've gone number one with food. We've moved into movement, moving around. Yeah. We've thought about sleeping really well and tracking how important that is for us. And then we've been um, the number four going to the mental health uh -huh. gym. That's a mental health gym. Then the next one is really leads on much more to that. So mind, if you think of mindfulness, it's all about connection with yourself. And once you've learned how to connect with yourself, then it's about listening to what yourself has to say. This next pillar is, I call it the happy soul. This is about authenticity. It's about understanding who you are um, using spiritual practices. And what I mean by spiritual is, you know, nothing necessarily religious unless that's the way you want to do it. But it's getting in touch with your spirit in whatever form that you want to. So spirituality becomes your key to unlocking your authenticity. By connecting with yourself, you work out what your values are, what you want to achieve, what your purpose is. And I have a feeling that we are all so wrapped up and trapped into trying to please other people or doing what we feel we should do or being somebody that fits the, the right description that we've lost ourselves and our and our differences and actually the beauty in everybody is their difference. You know, we're in a society these days where everyone's trying to look the same, be the same, whereas actually just be different. Because <laughs> that's be unique, be yourself and be yeah, yourself. find who you are. And you know, again, this time that we've got here right now is is so unique and and, and so different. And maybe it will challenge a lot of people for a lot of people, what their purposes are, what their value is. So I think this would probably be a time where a lot of people are actually thinking about their purpose and, you know, they've been on that treadmill of keeping going and working and actually being able to step back and think, do you know what? We're actually functioning quite well in a very different way to, to the way that we have. It might really make people think differently about um, 
where they've been and where they want to go to in the future. Absolutely. I think a lot of people as well in this space, you know, as exciting as it can sound, it can also be very daunting. Mm. And a lot of people come to me and they say, I don't know who I am anymore. Mm. I've just left my job. I don't know what I'm meant to do. I don't know who I am. I've been a mum. My kids have left home. Who am I? You know, they've come to this crossroads of whatever it is and they've actually lost themselves and they're almost too frightened or they don't know where to start in order to connect with themselves. So throughout this pillar is I give the tools and the techniques, exercises, meditations, and almost give people permission to really look within themselves to work out who they really are and then be okay with that person and actually ask them to fall back in love with themselves. Yeah. And like you say, it can be quite daunting to think about doing that and taking yourself back to your true self, your authentic you. Yeah. Incredible. Happy soul. A happy soul. So when when you've worked out who your happy soul is, it leads quite nicely then into the next pillar, which is all about happy connections. And there's two sides of this, really. There's understanding that you are a reflection of the five people that you spend the most time with. So when you've worked out who, what your values are in happy soul and who you want to be, it's then actually saying, do I still fit with the people I'm hanging out with? And that can also be quite a scary time. And understanding how you deal with that situation. Also understanding the importance of physical connection. And, and tricky at the moment when we are maybe overly connected with some, but yet very, very disconnected with others. And I've been talking quite a lot about that in my community recently about, you know, overly connected and disconnected and how you can feel, get that balance back. But you know, prior to lockdown, prior to what we've been going on, there was a there was a real disconnect with people and uh, using you know virtual connection as their only method of connecting. And actually, it's a basic human need to actually need physical touch and connection. And inviting people to reassess their lives in that way as well. Just just do the assessment. You know, how are you connecting with people? Have you got the balance right? Have you got the mix right? You know, how happy are you in your relationships? Not only with, you know, your friendships, but how happy are you in your most important relationships? And how can you make improvements there? Are there some difficult discussions that you need to have in order to move through move through that? And having been through that myself, I've got the tools and techniques to help people guide them through that to do it in, in a positive way with a positive outcome. Yeah, because again, we, you know, we often, um, you know, we don't think about these things. We, we just keep moving forward and being on the treadmill. So to actually stop and really think carefully about those connections and how valuable they are and how we are connecting, um, is so important. I've not heard that uh, idea around you are the five people or you, you represent the five people that you're connected to. Um, yeah. but yeah, just even thinking about those five immediate connections that we spend the most time with and how well do those in those relationships serve us and how yeah. we serve them is a really important uh, step uh, yeah I really like that happy connection you, you can see it with children your children don't necessarily do what you ask them to do but they'll do what you're doing yes and so you're you do that with your friends you know you'll find that you'll go to the same place with your friends you'll drink the same wine you'll eat the same food you'll live the same lifestyle as them so if that lifestyle is no longer the lifestyle that you've just designed for yourself then you need to kind of like readdress that um there's another really nice concept as well um it's called maui mates and again it's another japanese term of saying just reconnecting with the five people in your life who you know will always be there you know they're the people who are going to love you no matter what and it's usually outside of you know your immediate relationship but there will be five people in your life 
who are lifers, no matter where they live, but they are the people that you need to make sure that you connect with all the time because they lift you, they motivate you, they love you for who you are and you can be totally yourself with them. Mm. And it's, again, it's about really connecting with them consistently in order to make sure you, you feed yourself, nourish yourself with that relationship. Yeah. So we're moving on to the final pillar. We've worked out our wonderful relationships and how well they serve us and and using those to really lift ourselves and others. So where do we get to for number seven? So you've been on this amazing journey so far and you've in each in each step you've done an awful lot of introspection, you've worked out what you need in each of those kind of pillars, you've created a prescription and you've got this massive list now of all of the things you need to do in your life and that and, and how you need to sustain it. So in happy life, it's about bringing all of that together and assessing what you've written and how you're going to implement it into your life. And we go further into that and then also just ask yourself as well and really tap into goals and dreams and using your imagination. And I, and I love this bit because it's all about actually saying, you know, everything in your life is created twice, once in your imagination and then in reality. So if you want to change your life, you've got to imagine it changed first. And once you've imagined it, then you can take the steps in order to actually create it. And then I take people through the processes and guidance and tips and tools that they can do in order to create that. And so there are a variety of different ones, ones that I've used in the past and ones that I use now. But it's about, again, helping people assess which tools and techniques are going to serve them best right now. And then how they can implement this prescription into their life to get the best out of their life, to help them then thrive. Mm. Um, so it, it's almost a culmination of everything. But then how do they actually, they know all this, how are they actually going to implement it and what they're going to commit to doing in order to, to live this life by design, really? Yeah, because it's really important, isn't it, to recognize that we can understand things, that we can have the knowledge. But actually putting it into practice is the hardest thing to do. We call it active learning in the growth pod. Yeah. We like to help people to understand the knowledge, the tools, the techniques. But it's actually what do you do with it? How do you implement that? And that's the really key thing to building those new habits, making yeah. them you know, really embedded into our lives so that they create that significant and lasting change. Yeah. And a lot of that is around accountability as well. I think a lot of people work with me purely because they need the accountability. And I'm sure yourself as a coach, a lot of people know what they need to do, but they don't do it. Yeah, they and I always teach my coaches that they are the accountability buddy. That's the language yeah. I use. You're an accountability buddy as a coach. Yeah, that's right. And, and as soon as they've got that accountability and once you've held them accountable for a period or a sustained period of time, it has then become a habit and they can do it on their own. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got these amazing seven steps. So thinking yeah. about the food that we eat and how that how that makes us feel every day, getting moving, having great sleep, going to the mindfulness element in the mental health gym, moving into happy soul, understanding those happy connections, and then building all of that into an amazing prescription that's unique yeah. for that individual so that they can really embed that into their lives. Yeah. And I know that um, because of the current situation, you're offering your your happy uh, wellness package in a slightly yeah. different way to how you might have been previously. And I don't want people to not know about that. So it'd be great if you could share that with us, Alan. Yeah, of course. So I work with people on a private basis and I also do group online coaching. And I usually run group online coaching twice a year to take people through 
my seven steps. With private coaching, we do it in a very fluid way and whatever people need to work on first, we work there. But in my group coaching, we go through the seven steps in order. Um, and I do it with very small groups and it's incredibly effective. But when, when we all went into lockdown and when everyone's worried about their health and when everyone's, you know, worrying about staying happy or being happy and in very uncertain times, then my kind of mission, I suppose, slightly changed. And it was, it was very much, I believe that health and happiness is going to be our first line of defense through this to get through it, to keep ourselves healthy, to keep ourselves happy. It's going to be paramount in order to keep our households healthy and happy, but also our businesses and our economy healthy and happy. And it was kind of like, well, I've got this amazing tool that can help people through this. How, how can I get it out there? You know, you know, I don't know how to get it out there. So I decided that rather than just holding it all to myself and my private clients, that I would change it and make it into a self-study so people can access the seven steps now. It's accessible right now and then also make it much more affordable. So I reduced the price by moving the decimal point one way to the left. So rather than making it just under £600, it's just under 60 So it makes it much more accessible and much more affordable for everybody to take advantage and feel the benefit of this journey, whether it's going to benefit them straight away the minute they do it. But also, like we've talked about, you know, people have got this time of slowdown to actually really do the work on themselves. And this is going to help them guide them through that. If they don't know where they're going to go or how to start, then this is a really great guide of how to to get there so that they've got this prescription so that when the, when the doors are open and when we get to go back to being whatever normal is, then they've got this lifestyle prescription that they can just continue with. And they're going to be thriving and they're going to be their best selves going back out again. And that's so, yeah. an incredible offer. I'm sure there are going to be so many people appreciative of that uh, that will take you up on that, uh, that amazing offer. So thank you for, for doing that and for sharing it with people at this time. So we're going to move into our finishing round in a, in a few yes. minutes. But I can't leave without just very quickly asking you about this book and your yeah. part in it. Because how exciting to be able to say that you're a published author. Oh no, well, it's, a, it's been a lifelong dream. I've always wanted to write a book, always wanted to write a book. And I've taken a book writing course, but just, you know, life gets in the way with two small children and running a business and looking after a household that we're complete and a house that we're renovating. So there's never been actually real time to write a book. And a friend of mine said, oh, I know somebody who's about to, she's trying to get authors together who are writing a book called How to Be Happy. Why don't you write a chapter or submit a chapter and see see what they think? So I wrote a chapter on how to be happy and my views on how you can be happy and based on the seven pillars that we've just talked about. And I sent it off to the publisher at the beginning of the year and, and, and didn't really think anything about it. But um, two weeks ago, I got an email saying, your, your chapter has been published. It's the lead chapter and we're using it in order to promote and publish the book. So it's been, it was, it was, a very overwhelming moment for me when, when I got that email. But yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted and it's going to spur me on to write the book. <laughs> Congratulations. That's incredible. And only two weeks ago since you found out. It's so fun for you. I know. I had a nice glass of champagne that evening to celebrate. Yeah, my husband did go down to the cellar and, and we did have a glass of champagne that night. It, was, it felt a bit odd because it was also the day that Boris Johnson put us into lockdown. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So, Ali, are you ready for our finishing round? Yes. yes cool. We're yep. the final seeds for growth. Brilliant. So, at the Growth Pod, we are interested in active learning. Um, yep. We've already talked about active learning and how important it is. So, for us, active learning is a deeper level of learning that's activated in the workplace to change behaviours, which enable growth and development. So, with that in mind, what one thing can our listeners do today 
to activate a piece of knowledge that you have shared with us during this amazing podcast. So we've talked about what I do and I hugely believe in bio-individuality, which is just everybody getting in touch with themselves and understanding who they are and what they need to do. Everybody's different. We've talked about it. Circumstances are different, physical wellness, mental health, all of it. We're all so different. So we've talked an awful lot and I've talked to everybody through the seven pillars. So I suppose I would throw this question back out and say to people, what have you heard today that resonated with you most? And what is the one thing that you can do in order to move yourself forward? So turn it back around to them because there's so much in there that they can do. Yeah, so I guess there'll be people start listening to those different seven pillars and maybe recognising that some of them they're doing quite well on, but maybe yeah. one of those elements they're thinking, oh gosh, actually that's a really low area for me and maybe I want to do something with that. I love that. Turn it around. Yeah. Are you a really. trainer as well as an author? Because that's a real trainery thing to do. <laughs> Fantastic. So at the Growth Pod, well-being is embedded at the core of our business. Can you share one practice that you engage in that enhances or maintains your own well-being? Yeah, of course. It's one of the techniques I actually share through um, through my program. Um, it's a 12-week program, and in between the seven pillars, I also add in extra little bits, and it's one of the extra little bits. It's a bit like a bonus week. And I talk about bookending, and I bookend my day. So in the morning, I set myself up for success. How am I going to get the best out of my day? So I've got my own prescription that I've worked on myself that I need to do at least 10 to 15 minutes worth of mindfulness or meditation, whatever I want to do that day. Um, And I need to do some form of exercise. And it's usually for me, five sun salutations and some stretching and a really good breakfast. That sets me up. I'm energized. I'm mentally well and I'm well fed and I feel really good. And that can set me up for the day. At the other end, so the other bookend is all about how do I make sure that I wind down? How do I make sure that I'm going to get the best sleep and the best rest in order for me to be my best again the next day? So my my routine through the evening is very much 90 minutes before um, I want to go to bed. We make sure that all the screens are off. Um, I read 10 pages of some kind of developmental book or something that I'm interested in. Um, and then I read a good book and I have my... Um, my neon well-being pod with lavender and that's what I do and that helps me set myself up and I also do some journaling gratitude journaling as well so write out that my journaling will depending on where I am and how I'm feeling it will it will take on different forms so when I'm trying if I need a self-esteem boost then I'll go through what I call my self-belief bible and I'll write down all of my accomplishments and what I've created in that day other times it will be, right, you know, I'm not feeling particularly happy or I'm feeling sad, so I know I need to focus on gratitude and appreciation and everything that's really positive in my life. So the journaling will take different forms, but there's always an element of journaling and the reading before it gets to me. And that's just another great example of how we need to make sure that prescription works for us right now. So depending yeah. on how you're feeling, you'll change the journaling up to make sure that it fits perfect. Yeah. Fantastic. And finally, do you have a book, poem, or inspiring quote that you can share with us? I do, and I've got it printed out. Do you, shall I read it out to you? Yes, please. So it's it's a poem that I, or a passage I send to all of my clients before I start working with them, and it was it was something that really hit a chord with me when I was going through some of my darkest times and wasn't really sure where I was going to go or what I wanted to do. Um, And it's a passage from Marianne Williamson's book, um, A Return to Love, which says, our greatest fear 
It is not our light, it is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make, to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And I found that so powerful because it was, it was like, God, if I get too big, I could be too big. But, but why wouldn't you? Why shouldn't you? Everyone deserves to be that big shining light in whatever capacity to help others shine their light as well. And I'm so glad that you shared that with us because that is one of my favourite poems. And I've actually got that on the wall in my office. That's so crazy. Because I didn't know you were going to read that one. And it means so much to me as well. It's absolutely beautiful. So, Ali, if our listeners want to find out more about you, where would they do that? Um, I'm very active on social media. So you can find me and engage with me on social media on Instagram. I'm heal underscore yourself underscore happy on Instagram. I'm heal yourself happy with Ali on Facebook. Or the best place to go is probably my website, which is just heal hyphen yourself hyphen happy.com. You can find all the information in there. And we'll make sure that we put all of those links into the podcast as well so people can just click on those and, and, and get straight to you. And I'll also put that poem in there and then we'll put a link to your amazing new book in case anybody wants to go ahead and read that. Thank you. Ali, it's been absolutely incredible to have you on today's podcast. I just want to thank you for sharing those seven amazing pillars of well-being that we can all work towards embedding into our own lives but also for the wonderful gift that you're giving people right now of being able to actually work alongside you and to do that um, that course in a, in a self-development way and um, for that reduced cost because of the current situation. Yeah. So, Ale, thank you again so much for joining us on today. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you for letting me continue my mission through the mission, your mission as well because I think we're probably on a very similar mission, aren't we, really? Definitely, <laughs> yeah. We all have a very similar message to sell here. But thank you for joining me. Thank you. This Curious Conversation was brought to you by GrowthPod, creating positive pathways to change. For more information about how GrowthPod can support your people, leaders or organisation through training or coaching, visit our website www.growth-pod.co.uk.